Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so excited about this episode and so glad that you could join us. You know, we talk a lot on Go Green Radio about systems like water and energy and food systems. But today we're going to take a different twist on the food situation. We get to talk to somebody who was on the grocery line during the pandemic. Our guest today is Adam Cott, and he has a brand new book out, and I read it cover to cover. It's super good. It's called Life on the Grocery Line, a Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Adam, and congratulations on your new book. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, well, it's great to have you here. Now, we're going to talk about your customer interactions in a little bit, but it was clear that your customers had some preconceived notions about both the job of working in a grocery store and assumptions about who those essential workers are. And your book did such a great job of demonstrating that the workforce in a grocery store is made up of a very diverse group of individuals. And I would love to have you spend some time talking to us about you and your co-workers. What should the public know about the people we've labeled essential and frontline workers in the grocery store? Well, to me, I think the, the big thing that people should know when they go into a grocery store is that really we're, we're all the same. Like the, those people working at, uh, at the cash registers or in the produce department, they're, you know, probably it's a second job. A lot of people, they do it part-time or, you know, it's an in-between time job. Well, that's what it was for me. It was kind of like a gap. But it, it went from being, you know, two months, what I thought would be like a two-month gap to a year and a half because there were no other jobs. And I was kind of stuck there, but I learned a lot while I was there. But, um, yeah, I think that's the big thing I wanted. We, there's so many different people that work in grocery stores. Like I, there's people that work there, they've worked there for 30 years. It's kind of, it's their career, their choice. They love the grocery industry. They love working on the holidays during the rush of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then you also have people that are just passing through. So you get a wide spectrum of life, but you know, they're people too. So when you go through the line, um, go through your grocery line or ask for help, know that they're you know, just a normal person too that has feelings and might not have the answer for you, but um, they're probably doing their best. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was struck by the lightning speed at which you guys had to react. I'd love for you to you know, to the pandemic, I'd love for you to take some time and help us understand how fast things went from, hey, did you hear there's a virus, to rapid response measures in your grocery store? Yeah, it, honestly, it's hard to remember uh, what the ramp up was like, because I started in January, and mm-hmm. by, you know, mid-March, it was um, like schools were shutting down, and it seemed like there was just this uh, tension and everything just kind of filtered up. It almost happened, uh, felt like kind of overnight that, you know, all of a sudden you had people with mounds of groceries and the conversations changed so quickly. Um, you know, the every conversation turned to, like, about the virus or what was going on. Politically, every conversation really was political. People became polarized almost immediately, I felt like. Um, the the tone and the feeling of working in a grocery store changed so much. Um, like the, I, I did it because I like talking to people, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the, the writer brain in me to <laughs> you know, get someone's story and to really joke around with folks and it turned into something completely different, just seemingly overnight. I became people's therapist or the only person that could come talk to. And it was frenzied and uncomfortable. Um, Yeah, it was 
is very strange and happened so quick that I don't, it all feels like a blur together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One day they're, you know, you're wearing masks and the next day they're putting up plexiglass, you know, between you and mm-hmm. your customers. And it just, it was really, really rapid. Um, I think everywhere, but to hear it from your side was so fascinating to me as your store was rolling out all these new protocols each day. I mean, there, it sounds like there was almost some new protocol every single day that you showed up for work. What was the customer response? I mean, what did you witness and how were you treated? Well, the responses were mixed. Um, you know, a lot of people were really annoyed that they had to wait in line to get in the grocery store and they had to stand six feet apart from each other. And that already added to the growing tension of the unknown and there was this virus that no one really knew anything about. They didn't know if it was airborne, like just airborne, or if it was on surfaces. Um, all the like, I remember I had to wipe down the register after every person for quite a while, and I'd wipe it down so much to the point where my arm got sore. Mm. You know, it was we were everything was new so quickly that you know, people's frustrations um, boiled over a lot. Uh, there was a lady that. She was going through the line, and we were running out of bags because we were so busy that they didn't want us to double bag the groceries. Well, she um, she didn't like that when I said that to her, and I didn't have a chance to back off and, and say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll double bag the groceries. Um, she started to grab the stuff off the conveyor belt. And I threw it into her cart, and she was saying, it's not you. It's not you the whole time to me <laughs> as she's, like, slamming her cart into the um, the register and everything. And she just storms out. And I was like sitting there in shock. And as she gets to the door, she looks back at me and she says something. I don't know what she said, but she licks her hand and then slams it down on the last register at the end. Ew. And it, oh. yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was so strange. It was surreal in almost every way. And like the, I had to, t- I took a break after that. I had to sit down. Like, I was like, Hey, can you get, um, someone to cover me so I can go walk outside or something. Cause it was just so, I, I don't even, I didn't, I still don't know what she meant to do or what that was all about. But, um, yeah, it, that kind of, it worked me to my core and it, so, you know, that was the worst of it. And then I also had, um, this brain surgeon that came through my line all the time and he was so nice. He was like seven kids. And this guy is a brain, you know, one of maybe 10 people in my state that, do that sort of job, super elite. But he always wanted to talk about like what I was doing and how my book was going along because I was writing a different novel at the time. And you know, you, you get a wide spectrum of of people, and I always appreciated when someone was just extra nice and really cared and wanted to listen. Yeah, I wish that you know more people treated you that way. But you know, in reading your book. Um, there were some pretty abusive and, and unhinged episodes that, you know, I'm sure just added to what was already a stressful situation. In fact, your work hours and the working conditions changed pretty dramatically when the pandemic hit. I'd love for you to talk to us about what that was like for you. Yeah, the, um, so we we had kind of like unlimited overtime right away. And um also, we got a little pay raise for a few months, and I don't know, like the the overtime. I didn't really take advantage of that because every day was such a. I was like getting a hit by wave after wave after wave, like just standing there in a high tie, like a really hard whip uh, waves coming in, and it just I was like, man, I don't want to stay any longer than I can't than I have to. A lot of times, I'd stay like an extra hour or two, but I mean, you could work as long as you wanted there at the beginning when everyone was stocking up because they didn't know when we were going to come out of the lockdown. Um, it, uh, it wore on a lot of people. I heard about a lot of people breaking down um, and crying in offices. A lot of people took, uh, you had unlimited PTO at the time um, mm-hmm. to deal with the stress of the, of the pandemic. So people took that time, which I totally don't blame them. I never did because I needed to stay busy. That's how I kept through. I started my blog and writing down all the time 
what what was going on, working through everything that I was seeing, and I, I just need I need to lean into the moment more. That's how I kind of kept kept going, and you know, not um, letting it get to me as much. But yeah, everyone everyone dealt with it different. That's for sure, and it was it wasn't fun. It was pretty mm-hmm. intense. Well, I know that that your book, you know, the the fictional character that that kind of represents your experience was named Daniel, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you actually had to do this or if this was Daniel, uh, you know, it was someone else that you worked with. But at one point, you know, you go from being on the cash register to uh, waiting outside in the cold while people are waiting in line to get into the store because you could only have so many. And there's, you know, a police officer there with you. And and I'd love for you to kind of tell us that story. Yeah, the um you'd, you'd like get traded or like moved off of or, or maybe even get a whole shift where you would sit at the front uh, front door and count people going in, let people in and out. And yeah, it's not, I mean, I live in Colorado, so some weather here is pretty horrendous. Like in the mm-hmm. spring especially, we can get a lot of snow. Um, and like temperatures change drastically. So I've been out there a few times where, you know, it was sunny for a while and then it dropped and like snow came in or a real cold rain and people were standing in a line that wrapped around the built or wrapped around the corner of the building and probably was 50 people deep. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't really happy sitting out there either because we didn't really, I mean, you had a heater, but you're still pretty miserable. Mm -hmm. And the, um, yeah, the tense look on people's faces. Like you had to have a cop stand there the whole time um, in case someone, you know, I mean, people would go through and there was nothing you could really do, but just to prevent anything real serious from melting down. Um, we had a really, we had some really cool police officers that would stand there with us, but um, yeah, it was, it was not fun being the gatekeeper to food and to, you know, people, they have to feed their families. So yeah. they're taking it and there's, Feeling can go out for a little while. So it, was, yeah. it wasn't fun. It's like the, the worst kind of relationship you can have with someone, I feel like. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, you know, being the gatekeeper to food, that is a profound thought. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to discuss with Adam. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And in case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Adam Cat, a cot, I'm sorry. Um, and he has a brand new book out that I read cover to cover. So awesome. It's called Life on the Grocery Line, a frontline experience in a global pandemic. And, you know, Adam, 
you sure had to deal with a lot. Uh, we'll talk about customer stuff a little bit more later, but I really want to focus on food because we do like to, to talk about food systems on Go Green Radio, but we oftentimes don't hit this last point of contact. And so I'm really interested in what happened in your grocery store when the pandemic hit. So as people started stocking up for the initial lockdown, I'm sure the store supply chain must have been totally disrupted. Can you give us some idea of what was happening behind the scenes to try to keep the shelves stocked? Well, um, like at the time when it was really like crazy in the grocery store, I worked as a cashier. So, and I was technically only part-time too. Um, I didn't have much, um, like vision on what was going on later on when I worked in management, I would have understood like the buying process or what was going on behind the scenes. Um, but they did offer us like overtime that you could, you could take overnight shifts mm-hmm. and they were, they were running people all the time and they, they could just not keep up. There was, there's no way, especially on the perishable stuff. I mean, certain things we didn't have for like months, essentially wow. like, the, like yeast and canned goods, yeah. things like that. They were bare for like the entire summer, I'd say, into October almost. Wow. Well, and the thing is, I'm sure that like there's probably a set, you know, pretty standard, you know, (laughs) grocery list for your suppliers, you know, where we need this Mm -hmm. many counts of these items every week or every month. And when people started to really hoard that stuff, and this was happening worldwide, you know, there, there's just no way that the suppliers could have forecasted that and stepped up production fast enough to meet the new supply chain requirements of all the grocery stores. So I'm sure that that, that was one heck of a task to be in the supply chain at that point. I was wondering, yeah, too, the, oh. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, um. Yeah, it, I mean, and it kind of transcended everything, too. It became, you know, anything you could freeze, some meat. I mean, they look ravaged every night. Um, mm. And those guys are working, like, overtime to get stuff, new new meat cuts out. Produce was completely empty for some reason. Um, like, you can't freeze produce. The dairy was pretty ravaged, too, and you can't freeze milk. So it's like the, it was really everything. It was such a panic mode almost like through and through. There was no rhyme or reason to a lot of what I saw. I remember at the beginning, like the first thing that ran out was toilet paper, even though we all (laughs) knew that the symptoms were upper respiratory. (laughs) For some reason, (laughs) we all thought we were going to need a lot of toilet paper. Um, But did you see customers' food choices change at all over the course of the pandemic? You know, I like I didn't see that very much. Maybe it's the clientele because I worked in a very high end grocery store mm-hmm. in a like the one of the nicest neighborhoods in Denver. Mm. So I think people have their like certain tastes. People were upset that they didn't have the same stuff on the shelves, which is kind of hilarious when <laughs> there's a pandemic going on that you're worried about your tuna tartar or whatever. You know, it's, <laughs> it's ri- ridiculous um, to really have make that your priority, but people would, you know, it's like maybe that's because they were uncomfortable, you know, like uh-huh. the, they're scared. So they want their comfort food. They want uh, an anchor and they always get these things at the store, mm-hmm. um, to feel normal and they didn't have it. And that, you know, that just added to the pressure that was building up with everyone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in affluent neighborhoods, there's this idea that if I can pay for it, I should be able to get it. And the idea mm-hmm. that you simply cannot because the supply does not exist is something that we see even in you know affluent areas. I live in California where there's just not enough water to go around and you can't buy your way out of that when the, there's no supply. So uh, that's really interesting. I'm wondering, Adam, did you have any personal revelations about the way that America's food system works that hadn't occurred to you before the pandemic? So b- before I worked in the grocery store and I, like, I had a pretty long corporate life before I quit and like you know, had my, my artist moment where I worked on a different novel than the one I wrote. Um, I worked in supply chain for about seven or eight years, oh. and 
so I, I, I understood at least how fragile it can be. Um, you know, when, like, if you have a run on something, you're probably going to get oversupplied on that. Like, it's going to be a, you're like, it's a pendulum that swings back. And, man, it just, it, it got, I'd say it, it was really obvious that it was so fragile and it was kind of scary when you'd see, you know, the very basic stuff for, for food was gone. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was a fancier grocery store, but I knew that was happening everywhere. I was, mm-hmm. I felt kind of lucky that I would be able to shop after work so mm-hmm. I could stock up on things. But I, I felt for those people that didn't have the chance or they couldn't get in because the line around the building and we were only allowed to have 70 people or something in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty scary revelation. If you have to get out of, like you can't get, get there until that time for some reason mm-hmm. and you can't get your food for your family. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely trying for everybody. Yeah. I, I read a lot of stories about people, you know, who had, you know, 12 hour shifts and their jobs and, and they couldn't get in. They couldn't, they couldn't make time to get in when the store was opened. And in some places, the stores, you know, kind of cut their hours back so that they could restock the shelves. And that was really tough on people who, you know, have long work hours. Um, even some of the other quote unquote essential workers, you know, were some of the ones that that were having trouble with that. Adam, do you th- do you think that the pandemic is going to have any long lasting impact on America's food distribution methods and grocery stores? That, that's a really good question. Um, I, I wonder like, you know, if, if it's going to tighten up like supply chain, they have to, you know, figure out their supply chain to be really um, versatile. So they can mm-hmm. like switch over to having extra plants going. And if you're running a tighter supply chain, then you're going to, you could have like prices go up. Um, things might run out more quickly on a, like kind of a regular basis, but then they, they're going to pivot back. It's, I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I have to think about it more, but the, that is like something that, um, we have to worry about in the future because I don't know, you know, those variants, things like that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's very real now that a virus can just make a lot of things crumble. So yeah. they're going to have to work to fortify supply chains. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the interesting thing is when you go into a grocery store, I mean, there are literally thousands of suppliers that are involved in the products that you see. And every single one of them were also hit by the virus. So their staffing mm-hmm. took a hit. Their you know processes slowed down because they had to put in COVID protocols. And sometimes the raw materials just weren't there. I mean, if you know cattle, you know, farmers or ranchers only raise so many head of beef that year, you, you can't get more beef. I mean, the, there's, there's, uh, an element of finiteness to this that is, um, a little bit unsettling, but, um, you know, a lot of times on go green radio, when we talk about food related topics, we often talk about things like regenerative farming and chemicals and foods, but the pandemic really brought to light the food insecurity that so many families in America have been facing all along. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to wait for the pandemic to have this going on. And I know that some of the grocery workers at my local store have told me some really heartbreaking stories about what it's like to see families that are barely able to feed themselves and some of the extreme measures they will go to, you know, including trying to steal and things like that, just to acquire basic necessities. I'm wondering if you have any stories or thoughts to share on how we can do a better job of eliminating hunger in the U.S. Yeah, the, you know, like, so I've, I live in a smaller apartment complex, and I've lived here for quite a while. Um, so I know a fair amount of people. Um, we, during the beginning of the pandemic, especially like toilet paper, which was like almost rationed, you know, I had some access because they would give me, I could get some at work. They held it up in the back office because, I don't know, it was so rare to find it that um, I actually shared with people. And 
I ended up sharing food with a lot of like folks that I, I live close to. I live on my own, but um, I think like one of the main main things we can like we can do would be look really local, like in your community, like try and create community close to you. Try and reach out to your neighbors and have people that aren't just friends and family, but well, that maybe can turn into friends, but people you can rely on and you can really come together if stuff like this happens. And, you know, they, they can share their food. You, you pool resources, able to, you know, feed your neighbor if, if they're struggling or they couldn't get to the grocery store, for example. Like nowadays you could Venmo, they Venmo you some money if you're able to go and then you go get food, bring it back, feed together. I feel like that's a great way to tackle emergencies. And if we really think locally in general, um, you build better community and we need more community. I think a lot of people feel pretty isolated right now with the pandemic still going on. Um, especially, you know, a year ago it was super isolating. So you needed those people. You needed just like, I don't know, to joke around, have some fun, like share a meal, do anything really just we're we're social animals. So it's good to Mm -hmm. have a community. I love that. And, you know, Nextdoor is an app that, that gets a lot of flack because it ends up sometimes <laughs> being a place where people rant <laughs> about whose yep. dog pooped on their front yard or whatever. But um, I, I did see a lot of that. Like, you know, people would reach out and say, hey, I can't get an Instacart delivery and I can't go to the store. I'm sick. Can somebody help me? And people would do that. They were like, for sure, give me your grocery list and I'll get it for you today. And so sometimes we can take, you know, some of these apps and things like that and turn it into exactly what you just said. And it's surprising how many people who, you know, might seem a little bit self-absorbed or, you know, just really into their own, you know, families will, will help, will step up and want to find ways to help even under the worst circumstances. So I think that's a great idea. And it's very cool, you know, that you were part of that in your apartment building. Well, we're going to take a quick break, pay the bills, and we'll be back in just a short time with Adam Cott and his brand new book. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our guest today is Adam Cott. He has a brand new book out that I highly recommend. It's called Life on the Grocery Line, a Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic. And it's so timely and and it's so well-written that I, I honestly couldn't put it down. I read it cover to cover in one session. It was really, really good. And, you know, before you wrote your book, Adam, you had a blog that kind of gave birth to this novel. Um, And I want to ask you some questions that come from some of your blog posts. Um, 
you were working at the store, the grocery store, the day that an active shooting took place in a grocery store in Boulder. Tell us about what that day was like for you and the revelations you had as you had time to ruminate on the tragedy that happened in that grocery store. Well, so at the time I was working as a manager in the prepared foods department. Um, So I had a staff of maybe like seven people. And I I heard about it, uh, I think it was like mid in my sh- midday in the shift, and immediately I was kind of checking in with everyone a lot more. Like, I was like, hey, did you hear about it? What's going on, Boulder? You guys doing okay? Um, but I found my head on a swivel, and I was like, I don't know, I had like visions in my head of like how soft of a target it seems, like how vulnerable we we really were. Um I was. I had to do our our like uh, production list at the end of the night, and that's really all I could think about. I was like, kind of had my head on the swivel, like looking at the exit and thinking about it so much because it's, you know, it's just average folks going to work. You know, it's it's where it's a, a place for community more than I'd ever thought of it before the pandemic. Like, it it was the only thing open. It's it's essential. You need your food. You need to be able to feed your family. And a grocery store can't close. And someone walks in and starts taking life. It's it was um, eye opening, and I like uh, I felt like I really wanted to get them get them out of there as soon as I could. And we we cleaned up early that night, and because um, they're really good people, and I don't want bad things to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, on the one hand, as a manager, you've got to keep your cool. Um, and make everybody mm-hmm. feel comfortable, but you you had to know that that was going to reverberate. That was a terrible tragedy. Um, yeah. In one of your blogs, you you talked about your company's motto: <laughs> it's <laughs> "Do more with less," <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of a loaded phrase because there's different ways you could take it. But I'm wondering what it meant to you at the beginning of the pandemic, and if its meaning has changed to you, changed for you over time. Um, I think like that phrase is kind of, it's synonymous with, well, like pretty much any, uh, most industries, I feel like they, that's what they try and do at least. But the grocery stores in particular have high, re- really, really high turnover. So, I mean, I'd have people that would quit two weeks after starting. Some people wouldn't even show up for the first first day. You know, it's, you're always short, short-staffed. And then on top of it, like the margins are, are pretty low at a grocery store so they're not making a lot of money so they try and skimp on labor too and you're always in a pinch it's especially i was in a very busy store it was one of the top stores in the region i think it was number two and we were always short-staffed and so with the pandemic it um it definitely brought home like maximizing your time I, I think it's it's both an excuse for management, it seems like, but also like a way to motivate yourself too. Like I can do this, I can rise above it. When I was working in prepared foods, um, which is a particularly hard department, I I took it as a challenge. Like every night. I when I closed every night in my position and yeah, I just didn't have enough people. Sometimes people would call out oh yeah, people call out all the time in the grocery industry. It's mm-hmm. it's normal. Like people just don't care about that job a lot, and it's kind of sad. But you you get good with um like dealing with stress and doing a you know doing more with less. Mm-hmm. Probably doing more than what's in your job description a lot of times. <laughs> oh, oh um, definitely, yeah, all the time. Yeah, you're doing multiple people's jobs, and like, and you gotta you gotta put a smile on your face and deal with angry customers and all these different um, dynamics that are going on. People are, Mm -hmm. they come in in all sorts of moods. Yeah. Uh, Changes constantly. There was a one, one blog post that you talked about um, having to take the temperatures of all the employees before they could enter the store. And, (laughs) you know, that was also in the book, Daniel, your character uh, had to do that as well. Tell us about that experience and how it impacted you. 
So I, I actually was one of the first people put on that. Like they put me on, like we had this, so we had the temperature guns and then we had this thermal imaging thing eventually that, um, People were really annoyed at first, and I don't blame them, especially if they're coming in in the morning. It's like, I don't want, like, extra time and, like, all these extra little steps. And it seems like, what are we going into a hospital? It's a grocery store. <laughs> um, eventually, it kind of just felt silly to me because it was so inaccurate, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like, because let's say you were riding your bike in and it was cold out. You'd come in, and your skin would uh, temperature at, like, 70 or something like that, <laughs> but it's not your core temperature. So you don't like, yeah. you know, you can't, you can never really get a core, a good core temperature, um, of someone. And, you know, that just, it's like, it, it felt all performative after a certain point. And then I really wondered what else here is performative, like the plexiglass and the, the wiping down all the registers and all the things we had to do. Um, I, they, they had to adjust as they went, the store did. But it um, it felt uh, surreal, like some sort of fever dream after a certain point, because you'd add on so many things, and they're not making sense. Nothing's making sense, and then you then you get on Twitter at night or something like that, and you doom scroll, and you're like, there's just so much chaos that mm-hmm. it uh, it definitely um, was this odd experience to figure out what was real and what was important mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, I and I remember seeing YouTube videos of some I get he called himself a doctor showing everybody how to wipe down all of their groceries <laughs> when they got home. You know, I mean this is before yeah. it, it was common knowledge that it was airborne. And I mean, people were just bananas at that point. And I one of the things that kind of hit me when you told that story in the book was that you, you had kind of gotten used to taking some guff from customers, but, you know, it was kind of a different experience when you were taking that guff from your coworkers, because otherwise you guys are kind of a close knit family. Um, and, and that must've been kind of hard. Yeah. It was a, it's weird because, you know, you're, you're, it felt like a, we got a little bit stronger. Like we were going through something and that Mm -hmm. put me at odds with them in a way. Yeah. You know, yeah. It made me into a hindrance to just them going about their day and work as opposed to like, you know, go, like just the, the normal day, you know, and then mm-hmm. all the other struggles you go through when you don't have, you know, the things that people want and all the different rules you have. It was, it was not a good bonding experience. Eventually it just became like, I don't know, not even performative. You just like basically walk through and you're like, Hey, you just go. Yeah. Through. Yeah. When when customers started referring to you as a hero, how did that hit, Adam? What were your thoughts on that moniker? Um, I I never cared for it. Um, it's, it that that again struck me as performative in a way, and you know, it, I don't think people mean to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it just felt disingenuous. I also like I to me, it seemed like you're putting you're elevating the position, the job to something that it's not. So the, the word kind of loses its meaning for one, but also kind of separates you out from the group, you know, instead mm-hmm. of what people were saying at the beginning, like, oh, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're, you're an other same with the, the term essential worker. I mean, mm-hmm. like work is essential. Like the economy doesn't work if you don't have all the jobs going. Mm-hmm. So the, it, it othered, me. That's the way I felt about it. And I know that we, we joked around a lot at work, like, Oh yeah, here comes the hero. <laughs> now we're mostly messing around about it. And like, no one really, they all thought it was kind of silly or dumb. And, um, mm-hmm. I, but I, I know it was coming from a good place from a lot of people. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to like, you know, throw too much shade on it because you know, people, they tried. Right. Just, was there something that they, you would have preferred? I mean, just a, a thank you or, you know, what would you have preferred over, you know, that term, a hero? Um, you know, I don't know if there was anything that I'd prefer. Um, I, I just, like, I enjoyed, I, I, I even kind of enjoyed when people, like, use me as a therapist almost. You know, they, <laughs> they're now trapped at home with their, 
with their families and they have no one to talk to except for those people, like the family that maybe they didn't even really interact with before. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just need someone to talk to. Now that's, Mm -hmm. that's maybe the writer in me that I like stories and I like characters Mm -hmm. and I like the complexity of life. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I find enjoyable, but yeah, there, um, I just, yeah, when they were nice and it was simple and you just go through, even, even if you don't talk to them, just kind of move through the line, but knowledge their existence. Oh, bag your own groceries. Um, it's always mm-hmm. nice, but yeah, that's, that's what I would have preferred, I guess. Did you ever, did you ever feel afraid? Like when you went to work, knowing that the virus tra- was transmitted airborne and that you would be around hundreds of people every day. Were you ever afraid? Um, I wasn't, um, the way I kind of looked at it was I was just in the situation. So I tried to live in the moment as best I could right after work, you know, write down everything, like really work out any emotions or weird stuff that was going on or strange things that happened that day. That's how I kind of coasted through the fear. Mm-hmm. But it, it, at first it, it really, it's, it's, it's hard for people because they're all afraid. It rubs off yeah. on you, you yeah. know, and that, There's a that's vibe. contagious. That's, yeah. That's I noticed it too. myself. Yeah. I, I noticed it myself with going into the grocery store, you know, when we were first, you know, made aware of what was going on. And there was like, there was an energy vibe in the whole place. Everybody was, you know, very tense. Well, we're going to take a quick Mm -hmm. commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Adam Cott. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our guest today is Adam Cott, and I love his new book. It's so insightful. It's called Life on the Grocery Line, a Frontline Experience in a Global Pandemic. And it really gives you the other side of the of the aisle. You know, we've all been in the grocery store during the pandemic. We know what we were feeling. This book gives some incredible insight into who was working behind the scenes to make that food available to us. And I I just love the book. Um, There's some funny descriptions of kind of these caricatures of the types of customers that you had in your store. You called them Linda's, Dave's, and Norman's. And um, I would love for you to tell us, you know, what some of the characteristics of these folks are. How do they act? And most importantly, how do they treat you and your coworkers? So, um, I work, first off, I work in a upscale grocery store, like a very high end grocery store in a high end neighborhood. So it, that plays into it definitely. But I always felt like there was a certain type of person that comes in with a superiority complex going through your line. And that maybe 
it would be like they didn't acknowledge you at all, um, not even respond to a question like, do you want to bag, like double bag or something like that? They just kind of, mm-hmm. they ghost you, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, you know, like talking down. I, one lady you were talking, um, was talking to me. Or, no, I was, sorry, I was talking to the lady. Mm-hmm. And she was talking to her kid, and she said, um, "Did you, are, they, are we supposed to talk to them? And I was like, Ugh. what? <laughs> Did she just say that to her kid about me right here? Ugh. And you, you just kind of have to absorb those sort of things. You have to take it in stride, because that's not everyone. It's really not mm-hmm. everyone. But there's the, the idea that you're a lesser, which is... I don't know. And the way I grew up, I've like worked. My parents are very blue collar. Mm-hmm. That's my whole life really is working retail, customer service. And the idea that they're lesser is just blows my mind. But you, you start to get calloused over and you can make fun of it fun in that way. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's the main thing that always felt was just, they, they didn't care. They, you weren't there. You might as well not be there. Yeah, that's that's incredibly thoughtless, and obviously no one deserves to be treated that way, at least of which the people that are helping you put food on your table. I'd love for you to give us some tips on how we can best treat and show respect for our grocery workers, because we're all going to be out there in grocery stores. Tell us about how some of your favorite customers interact with you, so maybe we can we can get some pointers. Um. I mean, eye contact is always a good idea. Just, you know, making a connection just for a moment doesn't mean you, like, have to, know, like, even ask them a question. But say, oh, um, oh, you got to put the card in the machine. Okay, well, thank you. And then put the card in the machine, move on down, and bagging your groceries is always a good decision. I think it'll, some places don't let you, but I always mm-hmm. think that, that that adds less burden. I mean, how many times do I have to? bag someone's entire cart of groceries when they're just standing there on their phone, you know, yeah. looking through Instagram or something. And it feels thoughtless, careless. And I know, I know like you might be busy, but you could put some effort into it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a person that's not paid very much money and, you know, you make their day a lot easier, make things go a lot faster. The, uh, like the the brain surgeon I had mentioned earlier, you know, he he had seven kids and he'd always have a full cart coming through and he'd always bag his groceries. He bought he brought his own bags. He'd constantly talk to me the whole time. He was interested in my life. And I was well, very interested in his. Like the I mean, it's a brain surgeon. There's a lot yeah. there's a lot going on. Yeah. A pretty prestigious position. Um yeah, trying to make the connection if you have the energy. You know, I know people sometimes are just in a mood or they, they don't want to, they just want to get in and out of the grocery store. But I think putting out the effort goes a long way. It makes people feel a little bit more valued in society. Mm-hmm. Those are some good good thoughts to ruminate on. You know, I know that a lot of people right now are struggling with mental illness as a result of the pandemic and ends for many reasons, but I've recently heard some doctors talking about that. They believe that at some point, a lot of us will experience PTSD when we finally move out of this survival mode. And I'm wondering how you and your coworkers are dealing with mental health issues that must inevitably arise from what you've experienced. You know, the, the best way for me to do it was to avoid that was writing, but also like, um, like, you know, joking around or get like teasing people and like everything is, I think that's the retail world in general mm-hmm. is a lot of talking crap, you know, <laughs> joking around with people and giving them a hard time and like, just, you know, ele- like elevating the group above the kind of suffering that you might be going through, especially right now, mm-hmm. but like, you know, laughing, Oh, it feels so good to laugh and like just cathartic mm-hmm. way to, to get through. Like, I don't know, a bad Linda comes in. She just <laughs> treats you like nothing. Like you're not, you're not even there. And then like, you know, talks to a manager that 
you're somehow a problem and you were rude to her or something, you know, (laughs) these sort of semi-absurd circumstances that happen, you just laugh it off. And, you know, like, that's not everybody. That's clearly not everybody. And they don't get it. It's they become the butt of their own joke <laughs> or butt of the joke. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that's how I always got through it. And then writing, writing really saved me for sure. I bet. Well, and your book truly is fantastic, Adam. I, like I said before, I read it cover to cover. Thank you. Tell our listeners where they can get a copy. How, how can they get their hands on this? So you can go to lifeonthegroceryline.com. And that'll have links to all the places where you can buy it online. Also, signed copies on there too. And there's a blog. That's where the blog is, so you can check out old writing. But yeah, that's the best place to go, and it's available on all the online re- retailers, all the major ones. Awesome. Well, I can't congratulate you enough because it really is. You know, I mean, it, you gave us kind of shown a flashlight on on a world that many of us don't know and and have never seen the behind the scenes, you know, goings on of the place we go all the time, the grocery store and what it's like during a global pandemic. It's fascinating. You know, in the final moments that we have left in the show, we've got a couple minutes. What parting thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners, Adam? You know, like. I feel like my message or what I want people to take from the book, um, besides laughing at at ourselves and at the circumstances um, and reflecting back on one of the craziest times of anyone's lifetime, really, or at least modern times, um, is be good to each other. Like, I don't know, you know, find empathy in any moment you can. You know, whatever people are going through, whether you're talking on the phone to a customer service person or, I don't know, someone cuts you off on the highway, all these little things that can build up. Um, just realize you don't know what they're going through. You know, you don't, you, you can, maybe you, you couldn't even fathom what they've gone through. Yeah. And finding empathy and being good to each other and just taking that moment to say, oh, thank you, and looking them in the eyes is it goes such a long way. That is um, well it, said and profound. And, and that's exactly what we need to be doing. Um, th- that kind of humanity and that kind of unity does good things for all of us. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.